Welcome, Tester Illusions. We have a milestone to celebrate, and I, I, in theory, I'm not. You know that statement. I, we there is a miles milestone, and I've said milestone and re-recorded the podcast about a billion times. I don't really want to do that anymore. <laughs> it is a milestone. I think it's a Freudian slip. I think it's a very mild milestone to celebrate. But we are into year four. If you remember when. I think it was the uh, when we had Kyle from Big Brother Canada 10 on. We were celebrating year three. This podcast is in the similar state of non-existence as it was last milestone. It was mild then. It's mild now. Maybe it's even it's even more mild. It's it's a terrible show, but uh, it's a show that's charting around the world for some reason. We we for the first time ever made the charts. I didn't even know they tracked the charts in China, but. We uh, were in the top 50 for sexuality. Uh, we probably will get back there with the actual production of a new episode. The idea that I even made the top 50 with, with, with how, how shitty this podcast has been is astonishing. And I would be more grateful to all of you for listening if I wasn't concerned with why you're listening. Because I think the show is ob- objectively terrible. And when I'm out and it like slips that I have a podcast... Even on my OkCupid profile, they say, what's the worst trait about you? One of the questions, they say. And mine is, I have a podcast. And some people think that that's false modesty when uh, I, when they ask me more about my podcast and I'm coy and I, I don't really answer. And then they think, oh, she's just being modest. It must be really good. No, if you know me, you know I'm not really all that capable of modesty. I, I'm not a very modest person. And I do objectively think that this podcast sucks, but it's nice that you listen, uh, I guess. Um, I would probably do it anyway. I titled this podcast, uh, I I thought that maybe we would do, because last year's anniversary we centered on, that was our first Big Brother episode, and it was me covering a Canadian reality show that I'm I'm pretty sure none of my regular listeners watch, uh, which actually, I say that, it's not 100% true. A bunch of people on my Facebook following do follow Big Brother Canada. But you know what? We hit kind of the reason this show has kind of buoyed and stayed in the rankings is I just hit last week 50,000 followers on Facebook. Uh, I frequently top a million post engagements there uh, a week. Those are big numbers. Those numbers are big enough to carry this show regardless whether I do an episode and frankly regardless whether most of a sizable chunk of our back catalog over the past couple of years have been the Christmas episodes, which seem to still do well. If you're, if it's May and you're listening to this episode after you checked out some of our ranking bass coverage, I mean, I I really like those. So I, I guess I I don't know about you. I wouldn't listen to a Christmas thing in summer, but I I probably wouldn't listen to this show at all. So you do you, I guess. I titled this episode "Transgender Year Nine. And it might actually be, I don't think it's year eight. I think it's right. I didn't stop to tally. And I almost don't like to stop and tally because transition is not a linear process. And, you know, the beginning of somebody's transition, a lot of people use the term when my egg cracked. I mean, I hate that. It's such an infantilizing, stupid term that that maybe does apply to some people. But it wasn't an aha moment for me ever. I was a four-year-old who asked for a dollhouse. I always wanted to wear dresses. I, I, I learned quickly that I wasn't supposed to want that. I had kissed a boy in kindergarten. Uh, I, I, had real, I had real struggles learning that, that how I actually felt was supposed to be the object of shame and all of that shit. And I don't know. Maybe it warped me. But 
as a result, I, I, I don't... My transition is kind of marked by the point where I was, was sick of... Or I couldn't really take the lie anymore, and I started making moves, and it was slow, and it was baby steps, and I ran away to California to do it, and uh, sometimes it was two steps forward, three steps back, and it was messy, but to try and, like, to try and put a, a pin on it and say, this is where I started... No, it was really, really, really messy. It's like the start of a war. There's not really this aha moment where Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated and everything. There's always there's always other things. There's always other things that are going on. And, I mean, for a lot of people, transition basically feels maybe slightly— a world war may be slightly less dramatic than that. Uh, <laughs> God. But whether it's year nine or year eight, nine sounded better. I actually wrote year eight. In, in the beginning, and then I thought that 9 was probably slightly more realistic, and I liked the sound of 9 better. And I say to people constantly, don't let the truth get in the way of a good narrative. I say that as a fake woman. No, I'm not a fake woman. Uh, maybe I am. Uh, <laughs> awful. Awful. What other, what other trans things can I take a huge dump on to an audience who's either trans themselves or cis and doesn't know whether I'm being serious or not. I don't know who is the audience for this, so please stop listening. Uh, <laughs> but but I wanted to do an episode that, that kind of takes a, uh, a look at the journey so far and how I got here or, or how I feel about having gotten to this point. Because you do, I'll be 32 in July, and transition is, is basically between... It's closer to a third, in between a fourth and a third of my entire life. And it's hard to believe that. It's hard to believe that I live in this reality that for so long I didn't think was possible. And then, not only did I make it a reality, but um, I kind of got, I, I got, I got, got sick of the shining city on the hill. Because it wasn't actually shiny. And I thought that it would get shiny, but then it didn't. Uh, that's, that's, that's my sort of assessment of... So much of my early, well, I guess, okay, I mean, we could say start a transition is this year nine, year eight. My medical transition started in 2017, around this time, and I encourage all of you, do not mark your transition by, by medical intervention. That's a horrible idea. And if you're a cis person, don't evaluate a trans person's transition based on when they, you know, quote-unquote, got serious or, you know, began the irreversible steps, blah, blah, blah. There's no litmus test. You, you Don't ever mark your transition by arbitrary shit like that. But hormonal, the rewriting of the brain chemistry, all of that, that's that's a sizable seismic shift away from the person I used to be and more toward this asshole that I am now, combined with kind of all the shit that I was before. And I guess within all of that, we have we have basically. I mean, it's not really a trans narrative that what I'm describing. It's more of just you know growing up and I want to say basic maturity. In some ways, I feel more more mature, and in other ways, I feel less mature. And in some ways, I'm a lot happier, and then in other ways, I, I I'm more concerned that I am happy because you look at everything. Why would you be happy? And I guess this is the core of the episode that I want to kind of center around. I was incredibly ill-served by the first year of my medical transition. Which could mean to a lot of people that it went really poorly. However, it went really well. And that's actually not 
Well, okay, it is, you know, I take your wins where you can get them, honestly. But in a lot of ways, it actually was a bad thing. And what I mean by that is two kind of pivotal things happened to me basically within the first year, year and a couple months of my medical transition. The first was I found love. And it wasn't like I hadn't known love before. In fact, a few people in my early 20s, I guess, to uh, yeah, basically the start of my mid-20s, not really kind of a semantic difference there, but uh, people have told me they loved me. They wanted to settle down with me. They wanted to make a family with me. And I'm like, I, I, I'm positive at that point that I know that I will not be able to live a life without transition. And I'm kind of like twiddling my thumbs waiting for something to... I, you know, I was fucking terrified of my world. I, what? It's just, you know what? If you're terrified of your world ending, just transition because that's like clinging to this pile of rubble that's eroding before your very eyes is fucking stupid. And it was fucking stupid then. And it's fucking stupid with me. And it would be fucking stupid for any of you. Uh, people would tell me they loved me. And I look at them. I'd be like, are you fucking nuts? And you want to say to them, like, you have no idea what road you'd want to go down if 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 you if if you follow through on this stupidity i don't even know what road i would go down i i had no idea and i don't think any relationship of mine could have survived that i don't really in it's my my breakup with with tara was uh i hate that it's it's weird to like look at at the pieces of that and say i don't think there's any world in which a because we started dating a year into my medical transition, and that was such, such, such an important thing for me to date somebody after I was out, after I was transitioning, so they didn't know the Ian that was before. And maybe I cared about that too much, but knowing what transition and what hormones do to your brain chemistry, I, I, I like to think I was probably more right that I was than I was wrong, and maybe there, there are things in there that that mattered. Transition didn't kill my relationship. Uh, the stresses of of early... We started dating basically a year after my medical transition. For trans women, estrogen can take kind of like a year and a half to, to even really start the baseline of general effects and that kind of stuff. Uh, with testosterone, it's much, much, much different for uh, trans men, trans masks, non-binary people who go on T, all of that kind of stuff. Uh much slower for for us us femmes and i think i was ill <laughs> what a stupid i was not ill served i was ill served by this is me kind of grappling with this stuff i fundamentally i was ill served by finding love early because when you spend a lifetime feeling like you're unlovable and when you, you kind of get evidence to the contrary and you reject it and you, you feel superior in your sense that you, you, you feel like you know just how unlovable you are, it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. And yet, sort of simultaneously, I've never been a believer that love conquers all. Love, love, uh, a love that's just been put under siege for years and years and years by external factors will buckle under the pressure it's not like you know it's not like you can't fix it but it's, it takes two people to tango and it's a it's it's a fight of your life and you actually do kind of get tired and 
I was the one dumped, so it wasn't like it was in my power to fix it. It was abrupt. I mean, we've done episodes on that. Everybody presumably is listening to this episode knows that story. I, I, I wake up and basically give thanks every day that that relationship ended. It wasn't where I was meant to be. It, it deep down wasn't where I wanted to be, and it was making me fucking miserable. Uh, and yet the the sort of... I guess, for a lack of a better term, the false promise of love that early on into my medical transition really did not serve me well because it it didn't it didn't prepare me, although I guess the relationship did for the challenges that being trans will inflict upon interpersonal relationships. Uh, I developed. I don't want to say I was given. This is on me and me alone and my responsibility. I developed false perceptions that the world was going to be much easier for me as a trans person than it ended up being. And that's not to say that I was naive to the idea that being trans would be hard. But I was naive to the indignities of having to go through those with also the weight of being trans. That affronts to my very basic idea of dignity wouldn't be off the table. That I would have to live with the indignities of of an other that other people didn't understand. They couldn't treat me like a freak and have it all be okay. That we wouldn't live under the, the realm of agree to disagree. I have that tested every day of my life. Dignity. That's what this is all about. Because... I guess a year and a couple months into being single and dating, it's so hard to face the world out there with your dignity intact. And mine is not intact. I'll tell a story. I don't want to... Well, we'll stray a little bit. I don't, I don't want to... The the other thing that uh, uh, that early on that didn't serve me well, uh, that can wait. Uh, I'll tell the story now. <laughs> so last Thursday, uh, so six days ago, I assume a lot of people will be listening to this. Maybe even years from now. Maybe when I'm in year 10, I don't even say maybe. I see the back catalog numbers. Of course they will. Uh, there are people listening to the first episode of this uh, pretty much every day. But anyway, so I was at a, uh, I was at a, women, a queer women's kind of mixer event uh, down the street from me here in Long Beach. And I went because a friend asked me if I wanted to go. I, I didn't super care. Most of you people know that, that women are not my absolute favorite gender to date but i wanted to go i was on my progesterone cycle i didn't have much going on wait but why not it, it, it sounded fun and it turned out it was fun and <laughs> it's fun for a lot of reasons people i've talked about on the show were there and uh if you know me you know that that if i have a one night stand with somebody like i'm really good with boundaries and knowing that i'm not going to fall in love with them but if i see somebody that i slept with like year and a half down the road two years it, it doesn't if we end, if we ended things badly, if we ended things well, I I, I have it, it's probably a bit of a uh, unhealthy trait, but I cannot, I'm not capable of being mad at anybody I've slept with. I just once I've been intimate with somebody, I don't care. Like that's kind of why I don't do grinder all that often, and why why I'm not big into like anonymous, no strings attached sex, because I'll always have affection for these people, and and you want to you want to be, I don't want to I don't want to say you want to make sure they deserve it, but. 
I have affection for some real shitheads. Some a couple actually very famous people in the trans community treated me like absolute shit, and yet when I hear their name, I kind of smile because we had good sex. But this person was a, a cis woman. We actually had great sex, uh, but we're different people. And I I think for her it was definitely a one night stand. We talked a couple times, did the thing where you kiss. Uh, when when I got my Uber to go home very very late at night after. A very long time, but I hadn't seen her, I hadn't talked to her, no hard feelings or anything. And then I saw her, and she came up to me and gave me this big hug, a couple big hugs, and we just exchanged pleasantries, and I felt just so happy. And it, it reminded me, kind of, that, that as dumb as... Some people say, Ian, it's so wrong that you just have such affection for people that maybe you spent a few hours with. I don't know, they've seen me... Yeah, you know, they've some of them have fucked me hard. Uh, I'll smile when I see him. I like that. Uh, it was just nice, but that's not really the story. Uh, the story is I was at a queer women's event <laughs> and was talking with. Uh, it was funny because it was it. You're over thirty, gay. It's hard to tell with some of this stuff, but I kept getting asked a lot by people who were there, friends of my friend, like, you know, are you here to meet people? Are you looking? Is there somebody here you're like looking to go home with? And I'm sitting there. I actually had a date scheduled for the following day. So I, I was really, like, not... I was not there to meet people. I was there to have a couple beers and a hard kombucha and uh, maybe make some new friends. And I I, I really wasn't... It, it, a couple blocks away, I really... I wasn't there looking for anything in particular. But I started to talk to this one woman who I had met before and was having a great conversation with her. It wasn't romantic or anything, but talking to her and one of her friends and we got on the subject of hookup culture and she was really against hookup culture and all sorts and just didn't like it thought it was bad and i was telling her about how i sleep with partnered people how i do lots of casual stuff i play the field i play it fast and fast and loose and she asked me she said does that make you happy and i don't like lying I don't like bullshitting. And I gave her a long, sort of long, honest answer that, that basically boiled down to, I play the cards that I'm dealt. And I think that was a long way of saying, no, I'm not super happy. <laughs> and that's not fully true, because I, I do actually love the idea that in this timeline, I get to be somebody who attractive people go out with, who... They, you know, uh, people I find very attractive in some cases know who they are, industry people. We go out, and that person decided that they would go share a meal or, or get a drink or hang out with me. Me, of all people. Me, who has no self-esteem. I don't think I'm very attractive. I know I'm weird. I know I'm pretty much batshit insane. And these people still, based on something, decided that they wanted to go out with me. That'll, that'll never lose its novelty. I really... I, <laughs> it's like a sense of just gratitude for the world that I got to have that and to a lot of other people like what are you fucking nuts that's what you're excited about married man bought you dinner yeah <laughs> it's not just married men but yeah I get to play the game I do enjoy that we've done other episodes on that but the answer that I gave to the question like does that make you happy was complex and realistic and everything but Year one, year one of being trans did not 
prepare me for that because I got into a monogamous long-term relationship and I thought that I'd settled down with somebody I could build a life with who was a serious person. You know, I, I've I've never wanted to really badmouth Tara on this show. She came on the show a lot. I love her Thomas Tank Engine and chill. I, I still have a lot of affection for Tara. And she was a great person. to. She was not the person for me to settle down with, but she was a great person to settle down with. And when she does settle down with somebody, uh, you know, I wish them all the best. And I mean that. But I also know that to a lot of other people, to maybe a majority of the other people out there, that being trans is this hurdle that makes my life harder. And I didn't fully appreciate that until the past year and a half, really. I didn't appreciate how hard it was going to be. And there would be unique challenges. And the people who I had instant chemistry with and all of that would then think, what will my parents think? What will my family think? And they don't want to have that fight. That I'm not. Love does not conquer all. And love would have conquered all if I had been born in the right body. I hate that trope. I hate that trope because I, I, I try so hard to love my body. And I do in, in some instances, <laughs> but I wasn't ready for, I wasn't ready to have my dignity tested time and time and time and time daily. And yeah, actually, I wanted to record this episode two days ago, but then I was on my period. And in that time, I've been asked out for this weekend more than 10 times. Uh,. Maybe it's actually, the number might actually just be 10. Uh, but I got asked out, today's Wednesday, I got asked out four times yesterday, and I rejected all of them. And I got asked out a couple times this morning when I woke up. And I do think I'll accept one of those. But it's this, like, novel thing for me to get asked out by an attractive person and say no. Because I... I I, I'm kind of on a losing streak with dating. Uh, I've been on a lot of mediocre dates lately, which is which is what a lot of people have to go through. I'm I'm not special in that, but it is rare for me. I I try to engineer my entire dating. I call it the gauntlet. I've done an episode on it. Uh, I I try to engineer these scenarios so I avoid bad dates, and unfortunately, the gauntlet has not been working super well. And I've had some stinkers and. Hey, that's okay. You play the game. You go. You go through losing streaks. Uh, you go. People, teams who win the World Series lose uh, sixty games during the regular season, often. Uh, sometimes even more. That's okay. Uh, but it sucks to actually go. <laughs> losing. Doesn't feel good. And yet, in some cases, I felt really okay last week when I had a bad date because I was still. I was in the middle of a losing streak. The losing streak was continuing. I was modifying a little bit, but I was still getting out there and I was still playing the game. And that's kind of... <laughs> I've said it before. that you know I, I don't need things to come easy, but I need a fair shot. And I think being trans is realizing, yeah, fuck your fair shot, it's not coming. Uh, <laughs> learn how to survive without it. <laughs> and I have, but I resent it. I, yeah, that's okay, I mean... People resent me all the time. You have to learn to live with it. <laughs> That's life. Welcome. Welcome to learning how life sucks. And there's nothing you can do about it except there's everything you can do about it. I feel actually like I have some agency. And I didn't feel that way on Monday. And I guess, okay, that's actually a point to pivot 
to the two things that year one of medical transition really didn't serve me well at. Because we've already talked about how romance, finding love early in a transition is terrible. You have you have to understand how bad the world will get before you can appreciate how good it is. That's actually not true either. But, well, I mean, what's the point then if none of that's true? The world sucks. I guess it would probably have been better for me to know that the world actually sucked because I could have just... I I say that. I mean, that's not even true. I used to, for like... Tara and I were together for four years. There were There were times by the end, a lot of times, frankly, where, you know, COVID hit in March 2020, a little bit before our two-year anniversary. And for about the first year of COVID... I was like, thank God I found a relationship. I, I would rather die than go out in the dating pool again. And as time went on, I started to question whether or not that was true. And obviously, it actually wasn't true. It felt really good, though, to think that it was true. Sometimes the lie is good. Sometimes the lie feels better than reality. And whether it is or it isn't, I'm not really a believer in a creator. that We're not going to get a report card at the end of this. I could have a heart attack... Drop dead recording, and the episode obviously wouldn't go up, but I wouldn't then face the power at the end and say, well, you're, if you'd start a half hour earlier, you could have finished your final episode before life came coming for you. No, there's not going to be any report card. Life actually is pointless. It's true, not in a nihilistic way, but you have, you have to feel good about yourself, and I guess that's my struggle is I'm trying... I, I'm trying to feel okay about myself in a world that gives me nothing but reasons to not feel good about myself because deep down I know I'm kind of, my fate is sealed and then I'm damned. And life will occasionally provide evidence to the contrary. My following is bigger than ever. My career is actually in better shape than it's ever been before. There are people listening to this stupidity. It does not, it, it feels like an ab- abject failure and I'll never get bigger. That's not true. It feels that way. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be ha- trying to find some happiness along the way, and occasionally succeeding. And I try to keep a level head about all of that. But year one of transition did not prepare me for these kinds of hardships at all. I succeeded a lot way too early, and that's the other point. I had career success as well. About 13 months after I transitioned, uh not only had I published a best, written and published a bestseller on the transgender identity, the transgender manifesto, which has exploded again lately. I have not promoted that fucking thing, and this is not a promotion either, because I'm speaking about it with hate and scorn. Because I do hate that book. But I'd, I'd, I'd published a bestseller. It, it, it spent more than six months in the top 100 for LGBTQ nonfiction. Spent a long time there, and I gave it away for free in the first week. Everybody told me I was nuts, which is true, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I actually do know a thing or two about digital marketing, but on my show that's charted, and I barely even put out an episode. I mean, okay, I try to I try to be a realist. Life is not all objectively terrible. But I put out a bestseller. I get a Larry agent for a novel that still to this day isn't published because of some real, real, real bullshit. And someday that story will come out. Actually, speaking, I talked earlier about a famous trans person who was a douche to me. Not only did we fuck, and so I'll, I'll never hate them for that. They also kind of let me off the hook for uh, 
uh, that deal that had gone sour and really managed to convey to me that it, it truly actually wasn't my fault, and I will always be grateful to them for that. But fear not, I, I would, if it wasn't that, if they hadn't actually done a nice thing for me, I still, I still would have found a toxic reason not to hate them, because that's who I am. If you penetrate me, I will love you. Probably true, though. It's not actually true. I break up with people who penetrate me all the time. But I had a lot of success early on in my transition with my career in precisely the things that I wanted. I was getting what I wanted. I had literary representation for a book that wasn't about transition. You know, I don't like to badmouth. This isn't even a badmouth. Because uh, I'm I'm very happy for uh, Dylan Mulvaney's career, what she's had to go through with the whole Bud Light thing. Uh, it's actually been great for my career, too, not just hers. Uh, I've made a lot of jokes. I was about to say great jokes, but I, I don't... Uh, easy jokes. <laughs> Did really well. Brought me lots of new followers, so thank you, Dylan. Uh, but this is not a knock, and I, it can't be a knock either because I'm 100% guilty of it, too. But... Part of, I don't want to say frustration, eye roll maybe, but seeing somebody like Dylan who came out during COVID and has quickly rose into the stratospheres of trans trans entertainers, trans performers, she's been to the fucking White House for God's sakes, uh, off a career that is solely focused, basically solely focused on trans 101, the whole 365 days of womanhood has has reinforced every depressing element of trans representation in the media that I have spent much of my career fighting against, which is I hate how the trans community feels hostage to the idea that we're going to be stuck at one at, at trans 101. And much of my career, including the very name of this episode, have been deliberate attempts by me to shy away from that, to to move us somewhere else. Uh, I'll give you an example. Confessions from My New Vagina is the name of my comedy album that I put out also during COVID. Uh, It's on my Facebook banner. It's on my Twitter banner. That's there for everybody to see. Sure, because it's an album that people can stream on Spotify if they want. But also, more importantly, so people don't ask me what my genitals are. They know that I'm a post-operative transsexual. That is a deliberate attempt. Transgender, year nine, I don't even care if it's accurate, if it's year eight or year nine. What I do care about is that you fucking know that it's not year one. Because I hear all this, I sound aggressive, heated. I am, this is the thing that probably pisses me off more than anything else. I hate, in my Facebook FAQ, it says at the beginning, don't say, and this happens every, 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 every fucking time I make a trans joke about my hormones or my body. I get, welcome, welcome, welcome to womanhood, Ian. Welcome to womanhood. Fuck off, fuck off with this cis ally. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Finally, I came alive. <laughs> I hate, hate. Maybe I'll. Maybe later I'll do a ep- full episode on this, but I hate, hate, hate being told, welcome to womanhood. It's so infantilizing, and people do it. They're taught to do it. They're taught to assume that all trans women have just come out because that's all we're ever represented by is 101 bullshit. And, like, 
this isn't a knock on the creators that do it. I published a book. I, I am not exempt from this. I am 100% guilty. So call me hypocritical, whatever. I'm acknowledging that I am part of the problem. Baby trans, new trans, come in, we make our own mark, and we attract all these people because it's easy. It's easy to kind of onboard them because it's like they're following our journey, which I guess they are. But then when you get to be an older trend, and people still assume... This happens to me all the time as somebody like who didn't change their name. They assume I'm just waiting. And, like, I have... I have the face. I have the body of a woman. I do pass. And yet, you still get the people. This is so new to you. It's not new to me. I, I have lived m- much, most, more than half of my adult life as an out transsexual. And I still, every fucking day, have to put up with the uh, with people who just discovered trans people. So they treat me like I, too, am this new, fresh thing. And it's so undignified. It's why I get heated. It has nothing to do with the baby trans who are trying to make their mark in the world and actually have made a mark and is a mark that's much bigger than my own mark, which is not a small mark. And I, I, I say it not out of jealousy, but... Just just the reality that we're there. We're there in a way that gay pe- Gay people, honestly, are still kind of there. Look at that fucking dumb shit-ass movie, Bros, that came out. Billy Eichner. That movie was fucking stupid. <laughs> I watched it. I didn't completely hate it. But it was so fucking sad how base level 101 that I, I loved. I actually, I'll say this, I loved that it failed. Because it... it It'll send the wrong message to the world that that LGBTQ movies are not viable. But the reality is that, that and, and plenty of publications have covered this, it wasn't a good LGBTQ movie. It was it was pandering 101 level to, to an audience that was there to laugh. They weren't there to be lectured. Like, somebody, that, that's actually, that runs contrary to, like, the success of somebody like Dylan Mulvaney, who, who, does do base level 101 programming. She is offering a valuable service that, that's kind of genuine to what the people are going to watch her content for. That that's that's a very honest profession. Bros was a comedy that was supposed to be funny and it was not. It was t- I fucking hate that movie. You know, and and you that, that actually I am genuinely happy for Dylan Mulvaney and I f- I feel for her when she gets to, I've been dogpiled a lot. She's been dogpiled on a way more national scale. But she's also somebody who is this is very still very new for her so I can't imagine it's it's I really do I really do feel for her and I'm happy for her success and likewise I'm very happy for fuck Billy Eichner <laughs> fuck his stupid movie uh, <laughs> you know what at least you know solidarity with my own tribe okay um yeah, I say that as somebody's on grinder all the time putting up with uh, cis gay men who send me pictures of their butthole and get upset that I don't have a dick um, thank, thanks, thanks. I'm really happy I shared that with you. I would be so much more successful, and I'm not unsuccessful, but my fame would be greater if I did more 101, and I won't do it. You know, I look at I look at trans documentaries and uh, books like Detransition Baby that do dedicate large sections of their narrative to essentially either 101 or an overfocus, or what I like to call an overfocus on Twitter nonsense, which, as you know me, I pick the big loser platform, Facebook, which is coincidentally also the biggest platform. 
uh, to uh, I'm one of the top three content creator, top three percent of uh, content creators on that platform, and uh, I pick it largely to avoid the Twitter drama that seems to consume lots of prominent trans people every day, and it's not because. Some of them do great work advocating for uh, all of the nonsense that's going on with the legislatures. Uh, pe uh, state representatives like Zoe Zephyr are being uh, totally fucked over. There's a lot of great work that Twitter can help uh, organizing on that front. And then there is a lot of fucking stupid shit that I don't want to deal with. And some of, a lot of that found its way into uh, a, a, one of the most popular transgender books that has ever come out so far. And I don't want to do that. That's not where I want my career to go. And uh, look where it's gotten me. I am less successful than a lot of people I've been naming. Actually, all the people I've been naming, I am less successful than. And uh, I, I have to be okay with that because I don't want to do one-on-one level stuff for the rest of my life. But I guess what bothers me in my career is, A, I had a lot of hardships that, and I suffered some indignities somewhat due to my own rigidity, I guess, and then others just the way the world is. But what frustrates me is as my following has grown exponentially, and I'm able to kind of capture that data, and let's just, like, for example, entertainment pitches, when I want to do an article and I pitch somebody. I can not only pitch them the concept, the idea of why this is good, blah, blah, blah. I can pitch to them the numbers I will bring in personally. The engagements, when other when I've been featured on other websites and I've been able to post their links on my page, I can get engagements on those external links that are well above basically what anybody else is, especially in the inter especially in the entertainment journalist space. I can name staff writers at all sorts of big entertainment publications that I am objectively by every other standard. You know, we just talked about uh, LGBTQ people who are more famous than me. In the entertainment journalist space, I am, I have a much bigger following than the vast majority of those people. And where did it get me? It got me sweet fuck all. So that actually, you know, you, you can't, you can't be salty that other trans people got bigger than you doing things that you refuse to do. I can be salty that cis people with smaller followings. Especially, I mean, in the digital media landscape, people are getting fired left and right. And what do they do? They fall back on nepotism and contacts. I can actually, do, I can prove to a lot of people that I can give them engagements that'll actually make their, you know, the, the freelance rate worth their while. And do they want to listen? No, because I don't go smooth with them at screenings and stuff. And it's a in, inside baseball. And I mean, that's why a lot of these publications are failing. They're poorly run. There is a certain pleasure in watching people get laid off who didn't even answer my pitches and assigned reviews to people who don't have a massive following behind them. That I have assets that are worth more than 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 what other people are offering, and those people get ahead of me. That's not how that's crony capitalism. I have read all of Das Kapital. The Marxist the 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 Marxist economics of that make no sense. They don't make any sense when I have something that I can bring to the table and people don't want to see it. That's when being trans serves detriments that are so fucking salty to me. And it pisses me off. And I watched my career in entertainment journalism die as every other metric of my success exploded. It's fucking stupid. And these are issues that I had to run into years after I transitioned. It was supposed to get better. It wasn't supposed to get worse. 
I wasn't supposed to wake up with all these laws. Dra drag just got banned in Montana. You fucking kidding me? I never, ever. You can go back. I'm sure you can find episodes where, A, I said, I don't promote the Transgender Manifesto because I think it was irrelevant. I was wrong about that. I remember when we did the Bostick versus Clayton County episode with Colin Kalmbacher, who, uh, that was a great episode. Uh, love to have Colin. Colin and I talk, uh, we haven't talked in a long time. Really nice guy, though. Uh, he was a superb guest. I love, love, love that episode. Uh, and I thought, I thought we had turned a corner with trans discrimination. And look at us now. We have, we didn't. The Empire, the Republican Empire struck back, and it struck back harder than I would have thought. And I, I was wrong about that. I thought, I thought we were moving forward. I saw what happened with gay marriage. It became settled. I was wrong. I was wrong. And I hate that. And I hate that I have to live in a world where I have less optimism for the future than I did back in 2018. It's it's asinine. It's asinine for me to be, feel nostalgic for my early days of transition when I looked way uglier than I do now when I was not used to my brain chemistry at all and my, my career was better back then. It's bizarre. It's so fucking bizarre. And every trans person can tell you that. Basically, every trans person can tell you that. Uh, even even some of the ones that came out later can tell you that things were better when they just came out. Better under the Trump administration because the state legislatures weren't spending all day coming after us. I mean, good fucking God. What kind of world is this? How stupid? How, how fucked up is it that that's basically true? That it was better back then than it is now? I hate that. It's it's like the most depressing thing in the world because what are you supposed to do? I think about think about Two Towers, uh, the Lord of the Rings movie, when Theoden at the end is like, "What can men do against such reckless hate?" And then you know you look to Aragorn who says, "Ride out and meet it." What does that even do? I mean, what does it mean to ride out every day to fight in the trenches to fight for? Every single inch you have to get, and then to get that, and to be pushed 10 feet back, to have it taken, to have everything you built for, every every dream that you hoped for, to have it taken from you every day, and you just have to fight claw to get pieces of it back, and it's this non-stop struggle, and I'd love to tell you that it's worth it, I'd love to tell you from my perch, as an older trans person, that it will get better, I cannot do that. I don't know. Look at Roe v. Wade. 50 years. Roll back. Blink of an eye. Are we going to be okay? Probably not. And don't mistake that. Don't mistake that for me saying be hopeless, be despondent, don't transition. Fuck no. I would have been dead years ago if I hadn't transitioned. <laughs> I don't sound like somebody who's optimistic, but you wake up. <laughs> you wake up and you go fucking fight the fight because that's all you can do and it's killing me how hard it is i'm buckling under under the stress of it i hate it it's eating me my creative juices are constrained i'm depressed constantly my sleep is shit i need more botox because of the jaw clenching <laughs> i'm tired i'm worn down I hate how conflicted I feel about this timeline that is still so much better than the alternative, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't go back in the closet. I, this is my best 
timeline, this shit, awful timeline that people stomp on and they don't care and there's no future in any industry I care about for me. I have no future. I have no love. People people who sleep with me just want it to be casual. Nobody wants to marry me. And to be honest, I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to marry me either. <laughs> who, who? I mean, seriously, that's that's kind of what it boils down to. This world's a shitty place. Who who wants to sign up for that's that's really what Republicans are trying to do, and and it's working on a lot of fronts. They're not trying. I mean, they are trying to eradicate trans people, but they have a sort of smaller, more narrow goal in mind that they hope to obtain. Because they know they know deep down that the world will will get more tolerant of trans people. And that that is in some ways true. The the middle ground, the lay population. What they're trying to do, what they're really trying to accomplish is create settings where people don't want to give trans people opportunities because doing so, just the very act of trans inclusion is seen as taking a side. It's, you know, inclusion should be like the middle, the baseline, the, okay, we'll let trans people have a shot at a dignified life. That, that, that shouldn't be some pie-in-the-sky thing that, that, we get, that we get even a chance to have a seat at the table. They've politicized our very existence to such an extent that inclusion is seen as, like, this major achievement. Think about it. Think about the Dylan Mulvaney example. Dylan Mulvaney was not hired to do some kind of big ad buy for Bud Light. Bud Light sent Dylan Mulvaney just a couple cans of beer with her name on it, with her face on it. Just, Just cute little things for her to make a little TikTok about. She made a March Madness joke. I mean, it was it was cute. I mean, I know a lot of gay people and trans people who drink Bud Light. I've made a couple jokes that no bottom is gonna go for an IPA. Bud Light has a lot of advantages for the, for those of us who prefer beer over wine. Bud Light is if you're going out and you know you're gonna be penetrated. Bud Light is a great great. It's very popular with gay people. My favorite lesbian bar has a rainbow uh, Bud Light tap on it, and it's had it for years. It, it's it's in a lot of ways hard to say that Bud Light actually gave Dylan Mulvaney much of a seat at the table. They gave her a, a, a slight opportunity, uh, a slight nod toward inclusion. They do bigger things each year. Uh, Bud, Bud Light, Coors Light, they're major sponsors of Pride. That's a much bigger deal than giving a, a influencer a couple cans of beer with her face on it. And look at what it created. Look at the shitstorm it created. It wasn't because of a national campaign. It was the very slight, smallest bit of inclusion. And uh, a national dogpile was unleashed on a single woman. And it's awful. And that's, that's, that's the new normal for being trans. I wasn't worried about stuff like that in, in 2018 and 2019. And even 2020. I mean, I... I Two things that really scared the fucking shit out of me when in my early days of transition was uh, one, when Trump made the transgender military ban. And I'm not military, but that was just like a, a fucked up attack on basic human dignity. And then uh, there's that New York Times article about uh, the HH- HHS uh, looking to legislate the word transgender out of existence. There was a big profile on that. And, and those were two early instances of, like, fuck, fuck. But then, I mean, Trump went away. And, I mean, we, we had that early Supreme Court win. And I thought maybe Neil Gorsuch would not be the 
not do what he did in uh, Dobbs. I, I wasn't alone in that. I, I don't think the logic back then was uh, it was imperfect. But I just I'm currently reading a book about the Supreme Court, and uh, I there was reason to be very concerned. I guess. Uh, but I I wanted to hope, and I told people we were going to win this. That we're on the right side of history, and we are. We are on the right side of history, and we will eventually win and we'll go through the thing where uh you know the politicians like the same ones like rick santorum who said that gay marriage would lead to goat marriage i reference that one a lot they're not held to account what we're going through now will be sanitized by history it will not be told accurately trans people will not have their stories told about how hard it still is for any of us to get a meaningful leg up on the world i went out about two months ago with a well-known trans person in media. I don't... I guess filmmaker is slightly... Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Uh, they work more on TV. And if I gave a single other identifying detail, probably, people would probably be able to figure out who it was. A big name. A name that, that at least trans people who, who have worked in entertainment journalism would know. And uh, one of the bigger people uh to have achieved success in entertainment and boy i mean honestly in some ways like she was jealous of me (sighs) i'm like you fucking kidding me how depressed is that if that person that person who i would put on a list of one of the few who had made it they're envious of my fucking bullshit are you fucking kidding me and i i don't i they they were 100 percent genuine that's how fucked up and fucked up and, like, sad it was. They they think, gee, Ian's doing something, right? It's like, you fuck kidding me? You've had shows. Person had the shit that I probably would kill for. It would depend on who I was killing, but... <laughs> Awful thing to say. But I'm like, it was kind of at that point where I'm sitting there, and we're eating, and I'm like, fuck. We are fucked. We are. Success is not success. The person who had the seat at the table is jealous of the Thomas the Tank Engine memer who rambles on her own podcast every few months because she sees her ratings in China and wonders what she can do to keep that going. I, I am, like, not a functional adult, and other people are jealous of me. Whew. It's scary. I, it's scary. You can't fuck your way out of that one. And I, I'm, like, tr- starting to try to circle the, the runway and figure out a way to end this on a positive note. But I guess it kind of goes back to the the initial crux as I look at a, a transition that happened for so long and is over. I don't—I'm not in transition anymore. Although, professionally, uh, external to my creative endeavors, professionally, I've started going by a different name. Diana, Princess of Wales. Uh, it's weird. So I guess in some ways I'm not done growing. Growing and transition are kind of two different things. But what a bombshell to kind of drop late in an episode. But I guess I, I don't. I, I I don't. I don't want my life to end, and that's kind of the point of transition. Because I was very suicidal for a long time, and I, I want. I, I I couldn't see the point of being alive. And to be honest, I don't really truly believe that my life will get much better than it is now 
And I, I have achieved some career things that I'm proud of, and I, I've accepted that other things I want are not going to happen. And maybe they will. Maybe I'm wrong. But I guess deep within all of that is, is the idea that we do press on. I say it a lot, like, I mean, if you're in the LGBTQ community, you can know that, like, even if you go out with somebody twice, like, that, you can have, like, a long breakup conversation, and it's just like, you're fucking kidding me, but you get, like, caught in the vortex of it, and I, it's, I probably perpetuate it, too, if I'm being honest. Um, I like to say a lot, you know, part of, like, looking back on your life is realizing the areas where you were toxic, too, and, of course, I'm probably, not probably, uh, there's always accountability, but, um, you know, if I'm getting dumped and somebody's, like, trying to be like, don't, don't be worried, blah, blah, blah. And I always just say, look, let's get one thing clear. Tomorrow the sun will rise and I will rise with it. And I mean that. I hate so much of the way the world is and the, the, the way the world is so different for me because of who I am. I hate that. I hate how not better it's gotten. I hate how we're still... You know, gay marriage, we got it in... I, I, I saw all of that. I saw how more, how much more tolerant we became as a nation as I got older. I, I got to see that. I got to look at it. And I got to feel it. And I, I, was, I knew it. I believed in my bones that it would be the same for trans people. And it will be eventually. But it's not here now. It's going to take a while. And the unthinkable, the one thing that I didn't think of was how much worse it was going to get before it gets better. And the fact, the idea of it getting better is no guarantee. Look at the Supreme Court. It's scary as shit. We have all the reasons in the world to be scared. But now when I speak, I don't speak with fear. I mean, <laughs> maybe a little bit. I know it's coming. And honestly, right out and meet it. I don't know. Give him fucking hell. I get threatened all the time. I, I'm pretty much at peace with the idea that I could just one day get murdered and that could be it. It's not super fun to think. Like, I, I pretty much go, I bring my skateboard wherever I go. I like skateboarding a lot, but after I got threatened, it's reality that I bring it with me also as a weapon if I need it. And I feel better knowing that if I do get attacked, I'll go down swinging. And I, I'm at peace. I'm at, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at. Add as much peace with that as I could be, I think, given all the circumstances. But if and when I meet my maker, hopefully decades in the future, I want to be able to say that I left it on the field. And in some ways, I definitely have. But this fight has drained on me. The fight for trans equality. I'm not creating like I used to. I'm creating in, in ways that are effective, and I'm seeing growth, and I'm taking each step forward each day, but it's hard and it feels like I'm carrying so much baggage and the baggage is weighing me down and I'm tired and beleaguered and sick of all this shit. I'm so tired. And I need to shed some of this weight. I need to ease this burden and I need to, I need to achieve my full potential because I'm not doing that right now. I'm not. A lot of my time is wasted. I'm spinning my gears. I'm so depressed all the time. I'm anxious. I cry. I feel hopeless constantly. And I, I want... I, the fire has never gone out in me, but I want it to burn so bright. I think about that baby trend who wrote the Transgender Manifesto in like eight days. I wrote a bestseller in eight fucking days. I sat in the exact seat I'm sitting now 
staring at, well, I got a new computer a couple months ago, but I just manically just typed and typed and spit the fucker out, and it was, it was fiery, and it was heated, and I felt so alive. And sometimes I feel alive. <laughs> I don't feel dead, but I want to feel like I'm not fighting against a sentence that's already been passed against me. And I don't, I don't think it's within my power to just stand up and take it and say, fuck you, I don't care, I'm going to keep on fighting. And yet I can, to some extent, but I think at best, and maybe this is what we, we, just sort of what we all can hope for in the end is, I just want to feel like I had a chance, that I took that chance and then I, I, I gave it my absolute all and I left it all in the field. And for a lot of people, you could say, okay, you've overexerted, you, you have done that, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like I've unlocked, I can't harness that fire, and I, I, it's, it just has to do, it's just, when you live in this world as a trans person for as long as I have, you, you just get so beaten down, it's so, and you, you, you have to acknowledge how stupid it is to believe that you can make it, to believe that you have a future. Because it is stupid. There's nothing There's nothing out there that suggests any of us are going to make it out of this fucking thing. That we're not going to get the chance to live up to our full potential. But goddamn. I don't want to be... I, I, I don't want to be defeatist. I'm defeatist a hell of a lot of the time. I don't want to be that way. I wish the world was better. But it wasn't. Because I, 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 know, I know the strength that it takes for me to do the shit that I do. And it's such an unfair burden to put on such a vulnerable uh, population. There's so many other people who just can't. And a lot of time I feel like I can't either. That I'm giving it everything. I'm giving it my all to just put up the front like I'm being, like, like, like I'm actually <laughs> making, making sense of this world. I'm not. I'm just as close as everybody else. But we have to press on. And all this whining... I've done a lot. I have victories. I have things to live for and to be excited about. And I guess it took me all this time to realize that. It's not like cis people don't have problems. It's not like other LGBTQ communities that are not the trans population. Everybody's got their burden. I just hate how much of my life is this fight for dignity. <laughs> I want to live a dignified... I don't. I don't feel like I live a dignified life. I don't know how to change that. You know, things like therapy. We're not built... None of us these. None of us in the trans community, or frankly the world, none of us were prepared for this hellish timeline that we're living. We're all flying blind. And... <laughs> It's easy to feel hopeless. It's rational to feel hopeless. I can't... I can't in good faith urge anybody not to because what the fuck am I... Why wouldn't you? But you can't. As logical as it might be to just feel despondent and feel like you're never, ever, ever, ever gonna get ahead, if that's the case, as logical as it is, then go ahead. Pick the fucking illogical. Make your own time. Like... I often say, like, I don't care if people think I'm a fake woman or not. I got as close enough to the real thing, I don't fucking care. 
I got close enough to the dream of, of myself as an individual. I just need to get closer to, to a, a semblance that, that I, I feel okay with my place in the world, which is not the case now. And I, it's kind of stunning to think that I, I'd get this far in my life as a as a transsexual and, and not have that kind of core peace of mind that I wake up each day to such turmoil and anxiety of, of just the, the very existence of my people. But uh, I did wake up, and I've woken up every day of, of, of this, this journey, and it sucked, but here I am. I hate I hate to celebrate the just the, the my very existence. Oh, it, you know what a what a great what a great plus like oh you know I I've won just by yeah, that's it feels like it feels like the very definition of a participation trophy. I want to thrive. I don't want to just survive. I don't want to get all the points for just showing up. I want points for victory. I want to win. I want to be something. Not. You know, I'm t- I, I don't want to be anything other... I actually do want to be something other than what I've been trying to be lately. Thank you, Gavin DeGraw on One Tree Hill. I think that's maybe a good note to end on. Ugh. I hate I hate that this became... I don't know. You know, I, whether I was on my period or not, I knew exactly what this episode was going to turn out to be. And uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. I wish I had... I wish I had better news, but I wasn't going to not give you the news as I saw it. I've had every conviction, every fiber of my being tested, and I have it tested all the time. And I will, uh, it is my resolve to keep going and uh, press on and give it everything, everything I've got to the last drop. And then some more, and then some more after that. And uh, I'll keep going, because life, life, life has improved improved in some ways it should have improved in more but uh this is life's worth living that as, as upbeat as a as a note as i can end on uh life is worth fighting for i wish i wish it didn't have to be this hard of a fight but that's you know fate rarely calls us at a moment of our choosing is paraphrase the great philosopher optimus prime I saw a meme that said that the Transformer, the end of the Transformers movie in 2007 with Shia LaBeouf and the fade out of Linkin Park, that that was the peak of our humanity. Maybe it was. That's probably hopefully not true, but I don't know. It's kind of been a kind of been kind of been on a downward slide ever since. But yay! <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Four years. Whether you follow me on Facebook or Tumblr or you read my shit. Uh, Thank you. I, I really, I mean that. Thank you. Thank you for being with me. And, you know, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Music